This is the Defenders podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Marvel Studios Assembled, the making of Loki. At the end of the first day, I cannot believe that I'm doing this. I literally cannot believe it's happening. Um, I first wore this costume 10 years ago. I can't believe I'm still wearing it. Um, And I'm so excited about this show. Um, I'm so grateful to all of you for everything you're going to do on it. So um, thank you for day one of 849. And onward we march. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to the Marvel Studios Assembled, the making of Loki. I hope you're ready all to do the the hokey-loki as we get into this, our final episode of the first season. What? It's it's very nice to say that. The first season of Loki. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your other hosts, Derek, dying of heatstroke. And I am doing the hokey pokey and I'm turning about. <laughs> I am Chris. Because that's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I think I'm probably going slightly low key um, in the heat, to be honest, <laughs> at the moment. We are, yes, embroiled in a heat wave here in Ireland that's at the awesome. moment. It's great. I look like a beetroot um, because I've been enjoying the sun, mm-hmm. uh, but it is very, very humid, but great nonetheless. Yeah. So, of course, instead of being outside in the fresh air, we are melting away in our uh, little office uh, to deliver Marvel Studios Assembled. Yes, making of Loki. Mm-hmm. We've done the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We've done WandaVision. Yeah. Uh, but this time we get into the making of Loki, as well as deliver the results of the Loki pub quiz. Yes. That's what I'm waiting for. Some really tough old questions there. A mm-hmm. lot of variation uh, running around in the answers. And indeed, some that we would have got wrong as well if we hadn't gone back and watched uh, the episodes for a second time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, yeah, so uh, a, <laughs> lot, uh, a lot um, of... Toughies yep. in this uh, in this pub quiz for well, Loki. It's only six questions, and we have, we got to make sure it's tough, so we can actually knock out a few people because we can't just have everybody in the uh, in the pub quiz. That's the whole point, isn't it? Because you never have Every, a twelve. Everyone way is a winner, just not in the traditional sense. Yeah, exactly. You're winning with the fun and engage with that of taking part there the TV go. podcast industry's pub quiz. Yes, and just to say, fellow defenders, the defenders podcast does not condone. Knocking out our fellow defenders. <laughs> and neither no, does TV no, podcast industries. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's get into it. The discussion about the making of documentary. We have the pub quiz and we will have some feedback uh, from our wonderful fellow defenders as well. Uh, I want to talk about it at the end of the episode. Yes. Before we get into it, uh, remember uh, there is What If. Marvel's What If is uh, coming up mm-hmm. on the 11th of August. So please... Uh, head on over and subscribe uh, to TV Podcast Industries. You can head to tvpodcastindustries.com where you can get any magical or mysterious uh, podcast catcher of your choice to listen to our dulcet tones. And of course, you can share that around. Just share the love, spread the love. And so get loads of people enjoying um, the 
Marvel TV universe, I mm-hmm. guess, as we build to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I guess. I completely forgot that that was uh, what we did all the way up to the original Doctor Strange movie. <laughs> Everything was building to that, wasn't it? And no matter what, yeah. what, what it was. It was. <laughs> I don't think even Gotham was building to uh, to Doctor Strange at that point. Um, My house is building to Doctor Strange. <laughs> <laughs> and so will ours when I put in the uh, seal of the shanty window. Yeah, <laughs> just to freak out all the neighbours who mm. think we're a cult. That would, be, that would be great in a suburb in Dublin. Um, it's like, what's that? Ooh, the Source of Supreme's lair. It is. Uh, it interesting. Is. How did you get that? <laughs> but also, don't forget, fellow defenders, we are at the end of this. So if you would like to, and you've liked what you've listened to, why not head over to patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industries, where for a single Marvel dollar... Or a reoccurring fee. You can also support this podcast. Keep the servers running. Our d- director and editor supreme, Derek O'Neill. You'll be able to also keep him in coffee and wine as we move towards What If. It is a great way to keep our hamster, also known as Derek O'Neill Jr. It's just <laughs> Derek as well. Uh, going, the server's going. So yes, any support patient is always appreciated. You can also head on over for a single payment to buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI, where you can actually buy him a coffee to edit through each edit. Mm-hmm. It is always supported. It is great to have you. We really do appreciate that. And we are moving into what can only be described as a multiverse of 2021 madness episodes where we get what if you'll have the Eternals Hawkeye, Miss Marvel all before Christmas mm. and Shang, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings how can I even forget that? That is coming too. I can't wait for Shang-Chi that's going to be yeah. really really good too yeah. and I think that's coming up first isn't it? And it is. going to be Spider-Man as well. Yep. Oh and Spy- You look at all the great content that you have coming down the way so why not head over to patreon.com slash TV podcast industries Mm -hmm. and don't forget guys we've still got a couple more weeks of The Bad Batch uh, which we're covering as well uh, Star Wars The Bad Batch about five more weeks of that which will be really really good Uh, yeah I think if you do go to buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI and and send me a coffee over there it might end off being an iced coffee Um, yes yes But if you want to share any thoughts about any of the shows that we're covering, you can also email us at any time to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. We do read everything that comes in to our email there. So if you want to talk about anything we've covered, uh, you can email us over there as well. Love hearing from you. Yes, yes, we do. And don't forget, you can also head over to facebook.com slash group slash tvpodcastindustries where you can join our discussion groups, our spoiler posts, and the fun, raucous fun that is our groups. Yes, I said fun and raucous twice in the sentence. It's that fun <laughs> and that raucous. Okay. But you know what's even more raucous? Our discussions of Marvel Studios Assembled, The Making of Loki. Let's jump into it. Do you want to tell us who gave us what with the episode details, Derek? <laughs> Sure, yeah. Uh, represented here are obviously all of the main cast. Uh, we also have uh, director and executive producer Kate Heron, uh, lead writer and executive producer Michael Waldron. We also have director of photography Autumn Darald Arkapal. We have production designer Kazra Farhani and costume designer Christine Wada, amongst many, many other folks from behind the scenes on Loki. Interestingly, of course, we don't have a synopsis for this episode. So, John, do we want to jump straight into the variants uh, for this episode? Our five things we want to talk about from this 
exit. Well, I could just say they made it. They made it. Yep, there you and go. then they showed it. <laughs> yeah, that's my synopsis. That's exactly what I wrote. It was great. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, behind the curtain, as we were doing that recording, I literally went, synopsis. It's a making of. <laughs> that is the synopsis for this episode. It really, really is. But let's get into our top five variants. Variant one. A decade-long journey. Yes, this was the making of Tom Hiddleston. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) I know he did have uh, a lot of work beforehand and had worked with Kenneth Branagh beforehand, uh, which is where he got got the knowledge about about Thor coming up. Um, I suppose this is a good framing device they have here. We haven't had this in either of the other shows. Um, Tom Hiddleston himself is doing the voiceover. He's doing the kind of introduction. He's doing the kind of guide through and talking very specifically about his time... um, Trying out to play Thor back in uh, Kenneth Branagh's that uh, original was, Thor. That's quite interesting. You get to see the actual, um, seeing the actual him, tape of him uh, dressed up in in his version of the Thor costume. Yeah, seeing him with a blonde wig and the mm-hmm. red cape was hilarious. Just um, yeah, that was fascinating that he played for um, or he he um, auditioned for both parts. Yeah, um, I'd heard I heard of that. Yeah. I had heard that story before. I'd never seen that scene. Yeah. And, like, so it's interesting to see that they have kept that around. And so it was, I'm assuming it's probably in some of the other making ofs, but it was there. But this was fun. This was an interesting kind of review, like a chip down memory lane, I suppose. Um, The framing, what you talk about, Derek, is huge. That framing is massive because this. I'm, I'm, I, I get the feeling, and correct me if I'm wrong, right? The, as we are getting further into this MCU Disney Plus, Disney Plus, uh, kind of mini universe, same universe, but like the TV shows, mm-hmm. they are doubling down. I get it. They were slightly probably hesitant coming into this thing. They, they put the money down. They filmed the shows, but I can understand there's, there's always, it's a, it is a new business risk yeah. for this company. Yeah. But they seem to be really backing this. Like the social media marketing and presence as a whole mm-hmm. for each of the shows has grown, grown, grown. What if is being touted huge? And then these making ofs as well to a degree have grown and grown. Now we'll discuss what if. What if it's lacking in any sort of way? Mm-hmm. But it was interesting to see the actual star of the show narrate this aspect of it. Well, you did say correct you if you're wrong. I mean, it's not that okay. you're, it's not that you're wrong at all. But remember, in this case, Tom Hiddleston is uh, an executive producer of this TV show. Yeah. Um, there's one of the things that they call out a couple of times. Some of the, some of the members of the cast call out. Uh, his his Loki training sessions, effectively, where he was distilling all of the information about his his version of Loki, all his knowledge about Loki, to a bunch of the cast to kind of tell them his Loki lectures, his Loki lectures, of course, the yeah. double L. Um, but that that's partly because he's executive producer of the show and he wants everybody to get the concept so that it can be really successful. So you're absolutely right in in the fact that it they are definitely doubled down. And this is a massive character for Marvel. They don't want to get it wrong. But he's got a vested interest in this. He's been involved in it for 10 years, and he really wants to make sure everybody gets what he's going for with his version of Loki, I think. Um, so in the, in the same way, obviously, the writer wants to get across what they're doing, director wants to get across what they're doing, but this really felt like Hiddleston himself had a really big interest in making sure that this came across as his product as well. And I, th- I think as well, you saying, like, such a big character, 
it, it, that whole San Diego uh, Comic Con Hall H mm-hmm. moment there um, was you, I'd just forgotten about that, but just oh. you know coming really hot off the heels of the Avengers, the mm-hmm. first Avengers. It was a really, really big moment. And, and Say my name! Yeah, it was... Absolutely you just massive. forgot how sort of big that was for Marvel. Mm-hmm. Coming off a big movie like Avengers. Yeah. And, and But that character being the character that, in that sense, was given that opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, in... Uh, Hall H um, of San Diego Comic Con. You know, it is yeah. really difficult for our American listeners. It is really difficult for Irish people to say, Irish and English people to say Hall H. Big Americans call it H. So Hall H sounds much easier. It flows off the tongue, doesn't it? A bit easier, Don. Uh, yes, Hall H, uh, as we would say over here. But yes, amazing, amazing moment. I think H is actually the proper pronunciation. There's well, they did have tree trees. trees. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, I, I agree. And actually, it is quite, it's a shame that we, we are not getting, because we are recording this on the 22nd of July, the week before, the week of San Diego Comic-Con Online this week. It's coming up this weekend, starting into next week. Mm-hmm. And there is no Hall H panel. There is no Marvel DC panel. And it's so interesting. So that, that beautiful shot from when he came out to then also just remembering, like, what? Two years ago, we had the one where they announced Blade and the, the MCU film, yeah. and the, the TV shows and stuff. They really are, you know, every now and again, you need to take a step back and remember, this has been a decade of nerds nirvana to a degree somewhat. Where yeah. They've really shown us the, the, the quality of this. Well, even Iron Man itself was launched in a side room off, uh, off San Diego Comic Con. You know, that was yep. the first big announcement of it was, all the major actors. Uh, now you wouldn't be able to get them all in a room in the way that they were doing it at the time, but they were all right there with a very small crowd of people going, um, Marvel's making a comic book movie and everybody going, oh, comic book movies are terrible. <laughs> so, uh, so I think Comic Con has always been massively important, uh, to the movies and New York Comic Con has always been massively important to the TV shows as well. So, yeah. uh, hopefully both returning uh, at some point in the future. But uh, anything else about the decade long journey of Loki himself? Uh, I, the thing I did quite like as well, you know, saying about how uh, Tom Hiddleston was narrating, doing the voiceovers mm-hmm. and so on, and the series was about time. Um, I did like the whole thing right at the beginning, certainly where, you know, he distilled the 299 days of production, mm. however many hours, however many minutes, into, you know, that it basically six episodes or 280 minutes of programming, and then... And into this one hour of, of, of a making of. I thought that was quite nice because it just shows you the work that goes in Absolutely. to making, um, these TV shows, the time uh, and effort of, you know, the cast, the crew, yeah. uh, and, you know, the writers, uh, producers, designers, you name it, and mm. um, how much time goes into that. So you could even just, you could quadruple the number of, ma- you know, people hours effectively yeah. onto that. And it just oh, shows you the amount 
of time and effort it takes. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah. I thought that, that really that, that, sprang out at me. Because that was from day one on set as well. I must say I was really surprised to hear the date that he gave there. The day one on set was the start of February 2020, which is a lot later than I'd been I'd heard before. I thought they started filming in 2019 and then shut down for COVID. But they must have shut down for COVID like within two or three weeks of the start of that production. Um, so they were very early on. And, and one of the things that kind of is coming out, we, we had mentioned um, in the Falcon Witch Soldier and WandaVision that there had been impacts from COVID and filming had stopped on both of those. Uh, but you didn't really see it on screen very much in here. Absolutely seeing the filming of uh, during COVID times, you see everybody wearing masks the whole time. Even even the director, uh, Kate Heron, when speaking to Tom Hiddleston is is wearing her mask yeah. the whole time. So uh, this does feel like it, like it ended production significantly later than all the rest of them. I don't know. I, I just had it in my head that this was one of the first to start production, given how complex it was. And actually, um, it the, the finishing of production was just a few weeks filming. But it turns out, uh, yeah, that it's, uh, it was filming a lot later than I thought. Yeah, I, I we know that we see the beautiful uh, scene where uh, Tom is giving his speech with his Tesseract cake, birthday cake, on the day of his 40th birthday as they start production. Um, I'd say they probably only got two, three weeks, Max, yeah. as you said. Yeah. Like, if they're lucky, and then they should, yeah. Like, now, the question I have is did that have any impact on what we were actually given? Story Mm -hmm. and or locations that building. Because while some of the other shows had to do reshoots Mm -hmm. uh, post-COVID time, a lot of that was already pre-locked. Yeah. What we were seeing here is, no, this was filmed post, where you had some new, to be fair, stringent... Uh, COVID practice policies on sets. Yeah, and still, and still um, do now. Absolutely, and still, a lot, yes, a lot exactly. of producers and, and actors talking about uh, producing shows now is still very different than it was yeah. two years ago. Do you know? Thinking back on some of the episode by episode reviews that some of the other sites have done, the ones that were giving it really poor scores for the first few episodes and then amazing scores at the end when they realized the story. Um, I do remember <laughs> a lot of criticism of. Wow, the amount of times characters are sitting down opposite each other at a table and talking through yes. what's going on. You go, maybe that was COVID. Like, it still seems to be considered the best of the three shows overall from, yeah. from a lot of, let's say, uh, news outlets and, and, and uh, review outlets are giving, are, are saying this is the best or the favorite of those. So I don't think it's impacted overall on the reception of it. But if you think back to the amount of scenes where all of the major characters are sitting down talking to one other person and only one other person, you probably think that's that's to do with COVID, isn't it? I think so. I mean, also just that this has a lot of sets, even mm-hmm. the on Lamentis, uh, the 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 city there, mm-hmm. you, the TVA is effectively a set. So there's a lot of set work here. Effectively, yeah. a lot of indoor working as well. So, um, I but I don't know whether you know. I I guess you would prefer to do it outside in COVID. So I, I'm I'm not too sure. You know that the, the practices or necessarily what we were given was impacted by Mm. covid possibly some of the scenes were done in a way like sitting down possibly um but i think you know they don't broach that in here so it's really difficult to know because at the same time i think the whole series as is 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 a much more when i say personal i don't mean personal in the sense of like how wanda was dealing with her grief but this is this is much more, it feels kind of like, um, low key, just low, 
But yeah, just like, that's not funny. And <laughs> just the, <laughs> it, it, it is about his, this sounds, no, I'm going to give up on that because I can't know whether, I don't know whether I can explain it, but this was more personal, yeah. I think. Yeah, no, no, um, I, we agree. Yeah. We, okay. like, yeah. Well, let's give it to Kate Heron, exactly what she says. This show is about self-love. It's about, yes. about finding love for yourself, for one individual character. This show is all about uh, Loki himself, I think Tom Hiddleston says, uh, Loki's biggest battle has always been with himself, and in this show is all about learning to love himself. So it's all about one central character. So yeah. of course it's easier to break that down. Um, you can't, I wouldn't imagine that you could do Falcon and the Winter Soldier with just the two of them talking to one or two other people there. That show had to be all about big battles with lots of people. Um, cause that's an action show. You know, this show can be much more introspective and can be much more yeah. about in one or two individual characters. They may have pared down things like, you know, when there's an interview going on between uh, Mobius and Loki, that could have had seven or eight guards in there and they just went, well, we don't actually need the guards. We'll just put the two of them in a room and lock the door. Yeah, you know, exactly. Things like that. But I don't think it affected the overall product. But I think you're right. You could probably point out and go, this was a COVID production because yes. it feels more like a stage play at times where there's only a few people on indoor sets which are all locked down. Yeah. In my head, episode one, the actual TVA, the 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 courtroom, the the queue system. Yeah. That way, they, they he kind of is being processed. Like you would think, in a pre-pandemic world, those would be full. Well, you saw the concept the, the art scene. of of the, uh, yeah. the queuing system, which had like, even had Rocket Raccoon sitting uh, in yeah. in one of the scenes. Yeah. So they had uh, this whole room that's supposed to be full of people. It's a much funnier joke to only have two people who have to take tickets, and one of them. Yeah. has dropped his ticket and gets and gets wiped from existence effectively for not following the you must have a ticket rule. It's a much funnier joke, but probably wouldn't have been there had we had 20 people in the room. Uh, Speaking yeah. of 20 people in a room, though, let's move on to variant number two, which is the overall cast. Yeah. Yes, I, I, of all the makings of, this is the most cast-heavy. You know, looking like at the... And the, the characters, uh, along this hour of the, of the making of. Mm. And, and in some ways, I actually really, really enjoyed this because I think, um, I, I love the character development here of, of Loki, but seeing all the other Lokis, um, having Mobius introduced because as well, I, when you think about it, there's actually a lot of character. Uh, introductions here. Um, you know, if you think of Falcon and the Wind Soldier, we know those characters. Yeah. It's a metamorphosis of what they changed to. And, mm-hmm. um, but, and you have Zemo as well. We've seen, you know, we've seen a lot of those characters in WandaVision. The two central characters, very, very familiar. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's more about the mystery, uh, even though it is nice seeing, you know, shield in space and all the 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 members of of the little town that Wanda has locked herself away in but here it's more this big character intro- introductions here yeah um, and i i thought this was quite good um i enjoyed the the character centric element of this i, I sure. liked it it um, felt like they, they were the impetus for this making of was about explaining the story and explaining the journey yeah. the characters went on. I didn't feel that as much in the last two making ofs. I felt like they were kind of going, we have these massive action sequences. We've got to explain the stunts and how those were done and those kind of setups in, in Falcon, the Winter Soldier and in WandaVision. I felt like they were talking about story, but they were also talking about the production of making TV shows through the decades, yes. for example, lots of extra stuff to talk about. 
I felt here they were talking to the cast about their roles so they could explain the story for people who didn't pick up the full story in the six episodes because they felt it was quite complex and the impetus was to go there rather than to go to how they did the CGI work, how they created the planets that they went to and the places that they went to. I felt there was a lot of that was was excised so they could yeah. talk about the characters and cast. It was, but I love this cast. Like There's some yeah. great moments, just little riffs with different members of the cast. I love uh, Richard E. Grant in here. is really good fun yeah. in the moment that he has in there. Still think that suit sometimes does look like Kermit the Frog. Um, it, well, I must say, I <laughs> loved it when he says... I'm playing like, you know, the original Loki introduced in the comics. Um, and, you know, he thinks he's going to get a muscle suit. <laughs> I thought that was really fantastic because I think we would all quite like a muscle suit, uh-huh. uh, Richard. Of and in the end, he's put in the Lycra. And uh, he does remind me of... Um, Hugh Laurie from like Blackadder mm-hmm. as well as the Prince Regent. <laughs> yeah, can see that. Uh, just, yep. the, just the legs because long legs, quite spindly Uh and and i just think it is perfect so i really like that and i did like the riff he had with with tom hiddleston where you know tom was explaining why they chose him and he just kind of looks over to him and says because i'm old (laughs) because i'm old and it's like i just thought they were really nice moments i love i love the touch showing the concept art with richard e grant drawn into it yes saying that it was the person they were looking for originally i presume they never would have shown that that art if they'd had to go to hugh grant or if they'd had to go to hugh (laughs) we didn't get richard e grant but i know that looks like his face we'll change it (laughs) no exactly i thought that was really good and i i liked um Owen Wilson's bit as well because you know revelation to me I mean I wouldn't necessarily say oh I'm seeing this film because of Owen Wilson but mm. I loved him in this yeah I love the chit chat and um, you know I love the riff on the William Shakespeare where you have you know Tom Hiddleston's politeness saying how well have you ever played Hamlet and he's like <laughs> I don't think Ben Stiller would ever have asked me have you ever played Shakespeare uh-huh. and, and even that you know he says well if we if I did one it'd be the two gentlemen of Verona which Tom Hiddleston links in at the end which I thought was quite nice mm-hmm. uh, into kind of his parting piece of the making of um and also uh, you know just the the idea of um Owen Owen Wilson asking Tom Hiddleston is, well, why do you like to play Loki? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do to do it? But what is it about him and about, you know, he plays all the keys on the piano. He's got the heavy, dark notes and the lighter notes, the sharp and the flats. And, and so, yeah. Those were really great reference. And um, so yeah. I loved all uh, of this interaction between the two because uh, I think the things that we've mentioned um, on the previous two Marvel um, makings of is maybe that there wasn't enough of the characters mm. chatting yeah. on set actually. Yeah. So that I mean, it it didn't maybe sort of um, break down, strip down the CGI as much, and um, but it, I think it focused very much on the characters. And again, I think it's reflective of, in a sense, it you know a lot of talking, a lot of character pieces yeah. together speaking. And having Sofia Di Martino uh, coming in as well and, you know, seeing the stunt work that she has with Renslayer mm-hmm. as well. I mean, even just pulling Renslayer, you know, you could argue slightly, you know, not a lot of screen time, but they were kind of reflecting on how her importance of being, you know, that bad 
the the, the antagonist yeah. effectively. Yeah, that, that's good. something I really enjoyed hearing the uh, hearing the scriptwriters, the executive producers talking about the fact they really needed to ground the show with Renslayer. That's why she was so important in the show, and you do see that twist in her towards the end of the series, and you see that she's going to go on to do something in the future in series two probably uh, but that's really important when you've got this abstract idea of three aliens that control the tva you need to also have somebody else another focal point i thought that was a really interesting concept yeah and also we mentioned her the, the best moment for one Misaku or as hunter b15 in the series and i loved hearing her talk about that moment saying that that was to do with um a lot of religion a lot of religious people and, and what they go through when they have revelations about their own religion and their mm. reaction to loss uh, and that's where she's coming from from that scene and as we said in that moment where she finds out the TVA is all lies her reaction in that moment was one of the one of the best moments I think of the season was that just because it was wordless and it was uh, all written on her face uh, I love I loved hearing that kind of uh, moment because a lot of this stuff with cast interviews that can come across really uh, upbeat and no and no detail behind it so I think having uh, those little moments uh, with the cast I think is really is really important yeah I thought that was really good yeah no I agree like this the every aspect of this and that it was character-driven I think is the best way I can describe it the interviews were character-driven in that they were giving us the glimpse of why they chose to do what, where, how, when uh, and regarding the characters so like the biggest fun joke for me was like Owen Wilson's head on Captain America's body and <laughs> yeah, that yeah. one he was like oh they came with me to do Steve Rogers and I turned them down uh-huh. so like, all that that was the, the that was the fun seeing Sofia Martino in talk about her costume and then how she had to breathe so that she could move and do those do the things that she could do as a character Mm -hmm. so the break like you do every now and again hear of actors who come in do do the part and get the hell out that did not seem to be the case and these are all probably these aren't filmed in a press junket where the actors are hey go all smiles and tell us about your favorite part of this it was very much it seems to be a lot of it was filmed in the moment of yeah recording and during the sets and even just seeing uh, and we'll probably I'll move it on to the next point in a second but even just seeing the behind the scenes filming of some of the key scenes uh where we we had like the two Lokis or Loki and Sylvie and then another key character seeing that and seeing the break character and then sit down and discuss it and then jump back mm-hmm. was just fantastic to see that interactions, that character-driven interactions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I think we we can move on, press on to variant three, mm-hmm. which is uh, the casting of Jonathan Majors as Kang, He Who Remains. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I think I, I think this is a, an interesting one, just to keep him separate from everybody else, I suppose, because he only had one episode, but as we know from talking about the series, is going to roll out into something massive for the Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe. Separately from this making of, and I was, I was kind of hoping it was going to be in here as well, but um, Kate Heron has mentioned that he was cast for this role. She was looking for the role of uh, of He Who Remains, had looked at Jonathan Majors for that role and thinking he'd be perfect in that, in, in that position. And then Kevin Feige came back to her after she had pretty much set up this character and said, actually, we'd like to set up Kang in the future. 
and Jonathan Majors would be perfect for that role. Do you think these two could work together somehow? And they kind of created it that way. I think that's really interesting. So yeah. it seems like, I don't know whether they're, I don't know whether you'd ink the dotted line from some of the discussions that Jonathan Majors has on this, on this show and his performance. Um, but it seems like he'd been approached for the role. And then when combined with Kang, it sounded really interesting to him. I love when he talks about it. We mentioned it last week that the character we, we will see, we saw at the end of Loki is going to be very different from any other version of this character that we see in anything in the future. Yeah. I love that he says that that's playing in to his performance, that he's performing yeah. this way, knowing that the next time he comes back to play a character like this in the MCU, it'll have to be completely different. He'll yeah. have to use loads of other things in his box of tricks as a as an actor. Um, another really tiny interesting point from Jonathan Majors this week, where he said he was uh, originally a trained clown. Uh, yes. and, that's, and that's what the, some of the tricks he used uh, in these scenes and some of the moments that he used in these scenes. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I like the idea of his costume as well. You know, where he was saying he had kind of, you know, ro- the sandals were yeah. Roman, his cape was Victorian, um, I thought that was all really kind of nicely done. I mean, it, it's difficult to know, isn't it? But it, it, it's just you, you you don't necessarily get it when you see um, the the actor playing the role on the TV, and then you 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 know you hear the um, the designer, the, the the costume designers, and mm-hmm. how the thought process of what they that they they took to and um, to clothe him in, in that role, and I thought that was really really fascinating. I really enjoyed this, and I, for all the reasons you guys have said, he is going to be fantastic in this universe. Mm-hmm. He is going to be different with each character that he plays, each iteration throughout the individual shows. We do know the only show, the only property he is now confirmed for, by the way, is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Yeah. That is the only time he is confirmed to be coming. Yeah, yeah. I, based on the wording in this documentary, I think you're right. I don't think it was signed, sealed, and delivered. I just, my assumption is he will probably pop up in different forms as different variants of himself yeah. across the next couple of entries, be it post-credit scenes or he is the doorman in a, a scene in Hawkeye. Right. I'm not saying it's something as silly as that, but you, you kind of, I think now that they... could be just a scientist, as we, as we mentioned last episode. It could be a scientist that somebody goes to and he has no inclination of what's happening to him in the yeah. future. They could absolutely do that. And remember... Uh, Quantumania is the is where we saw the announcement that Jonathan Majors was joining the MCU. So actually, yeah. retroactively now, we know he's in Loki, so we think he's going to appear other places. But uh, you're absolutely right, Chris. It could be just here and then in uh, in Quantumania. So yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, you mentioned about the about his costume, John. It just kind of struck me just to mention as well, just that also Sylvie's costume um, was something that she talked about, something that we didn't mention earlier on when we were talking yes, about Sylvie, just the true. idea that she has picked up a bunch of things throughout time yeah. that would represent Loki. So she does have bits of the of the traditional Loki costume, but she left uh, Asgard when she was a child, and it wouldn't, of course, be the same costume because she's not... Uh, well, she's not yeah, that, that. that was the interesting thing oh, from cool. the designer's point of view, that effectively her her costume her well her clothes are an amalgam of her scavenging yeah. through the yeah. different periods uh to put that on and yeah. um, and you know she was 
how she was kind of just comparing that with Loki's, which is the one from, um, you know, the MCU. Yep. But then ultimately he gets completely stripped down, yep. um, Marvel six pack and then into some overalls. Yes. Marvel six I do pack. want to call out as well. It wasn't in this, but it, we, we had found this out from some of the interviews as well that her costume was also designed in such a way. Uh, and and fitted in such a way that as she was actually breastfeeding, she was a new mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, germ production. That's right. Um, so one, what? Con- wow! Congratulations! Because uh, she went straight into uh, fight training and production straight after having her 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 child. I don't know whether it was a boy or girl. Um, so just I'm going to call it the child. Uh, she had the child and was still breastfeeding germ production. So they built the um. A lot of it so that it could, she could quite easily, um, breastfeed or pump during production, yeah. during scene breaks. And I think like they missed a step there as well because that would have been, it's a nice addition would have been into this. But I think that only came out during, um, the overall, uh, kind of press junkets. Yeah. I think it was the, um, I think it was the day the, uh, the, her, of her first appearance, she was saying, yeah. isn't it wonderful to be able to be accommodated like that? Because that wouldn't have happened in other productions. You know, in fact, yeah. there's, there were used to be clauses in productions for women in movies and TV shows where they were told you can't get pregnant during the production at all because or they were after production it. and like yeah. up to post release and in case they needed junkets. to come back, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. But it, you know, the, this accommodation of, of everybody involved in the production, you know, it's, it's a, as I say, so much of this took place after COVID as well that uh, there must have been a lot of accommodation that had to happen uh, for everybody going on. But I, I think that's, yeah, a really good point, Chris. That was a, a great inclusion from the costume designer. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, look, moving on to variant four now. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, this is the magical realization by Kate Heron that <laughs> the void that she had constructed, mm-hmm. uh, in her mind, uh, the location where they went was basically is England. Um, it is the void is England. Um, I and I thought this, thought this was, was really interesting yeah. that as her and, you know, her colleagues were walking, uh, where they were filming, and um, it was, you know, on this grassland mm-hmm. with the trees. It was overcast. And um, that suddenly she realized, yes, it's England. Um, so I thought that was pretty funny. I just described my home. To yeah, exactly. In America. You um, know? Yeah. Like, and she, she points out, you know, with, with, um, with Sophia DiMartino, with, uh, with Tom Hiddleston, with Richard E. Grant, all three members of those cast in that location. And they're all British going. Yeah. This reminds me of home. <laughs> well, I guess Boris Johnson's yeah. alias then, and um, the yeah, devourer, devourer of everything. And um, <laughs> but again, it, it's you know one of the few I, outdoor locations. I know we get the the Gobi Desert. There's mm-hmm. um, outside of uh, Roxcart and so on. The Renaissance Fair as well. And um, but you know this, um, they're, they're quite small. This is a a lot uh, within. Um, this setting and I loved her description about it was almost you know she wanted to have these things dropping in like we saw mm-hmm. that it was almost a bit like um a bric-a-brac type yard with just things left over mm-hmm. and that had come through and were just rotting away like the barber shop uh all these different things I thought it was really really uh good and I think as well I think the sets here I mean I, I really enjoyed their description of the sets. Um, you know, a lot of indoor sets here. Um, 
the there was the you know the courtroom there was the deli line as i like to call it in the tva yeah and um, which everyone seemed to be saying i like the description that the lights were like a load of eyeballs mm-hmm. watching you uh, i thought that was pretty creepy and um, the ceiling you know, would load to make a room exactly feel yeah the, the um renslayer's office or the library all these different things yeah and um, and certainly the big one being um uh, the city of Sheru there on Lamentis, mm-hmm. where it was done outside and, but had to take the 360 degree shots that, uh, both, um, the director, Kate Heron, and her director of photography, Autumn Gerald Arkapur, um, were, were designing. I mean, they said it took a year for them to sort of plan, yeah. uh, work with the set designers, uh, and on, how it should look, yeah. how it should feel in relation to how they were going to track through um, the on that one shot, which in fact wasn't a one shot. Yeah. Uh, so that was really, really fascinating. And uh, again, just with the designers being brought in here, I always loved this part uh, where, you know, we would kept talking about, you know, the sci-fi sort of 1960s where they were, taking uh, that aesthetic where they were referencing Mad Men, but also, yeah. uh, you know, t- sort of touchstones with um, Terry Gilliam's Brazil, which is, you know, about awesome. bureaucracy, the Kafkaesque elements, the brutalism um, and, and modernism, yeah. all that kind of stuff, all these different uh, references, as well as Beetlejuice yes, as course, well. Of course. Uh, so, like, really interesting, all yeah. this around the different locations and, and, and sets that the were, were brought agency. in here yeah. as well. The afterlife agency in, in, yeah. uh, in Beetlejuice. Um, I like this. Uh, there's one set missing that I really, really wanted to see, and I think there might be a reason why we didn't see it. Right. I work in an office, right? So I don't really need to see what, what a TV show's version of an office is because they did a really good job recreating an office and recreating an oppressive office environment because that's kind of what an office feels like sometimes. I've seen them. What I wanted to see was the lair of Kid Loki because that was built of all of the stuff that was dropped in the void. And yep. I think if you had the production designer breaking that down, that's where you would have gone, oh, that's that's something that might be in an upcoming MCU movie, yep. or that was in another MCU movie, so we stuck it here in the background. Because they said they did loads of Easter eggs on yeah. uh, in the void, and I was like, oh, get your camera and show us some exactly. of those Easter eggs that we didn't see. Like, I know some of them were CGI, of course, but, but show us some of those Easter eggs and talk through those, because I don't really... I wish they had done to that see, too. I don't really need to see the courtroom because I saw that on the show and it yeah. looks like a courtroom and it was fine. Uh, I like the idea that they had to make sure that there was the representation of the uh, timekeepers in lots of places to show they were always watching. I thought that was a great touch. The the eyeballs on the ceiling, as you say, makes it feel really oppressive and stuff like that. I thought that was some interesting insights. But the one I really wanted to see was was that set of, of Kid Loki's uh, palace, yeah. I guess. Or all the Loki's palace. Still haven't worked that one out. There was that but, and the Citadel, I think, as well. That would have been really good to see i think um and just quickly mm. uh i was very interested that they did cgi vertical office blinds um i was like okay mm. they do that i just thought it'd be easier to put some real ones in yeah that was so weird yeah no interesting enough uh one of the things i've learned from a friend of mine who's in that that uh the, the, the space is that they actually do some of those as cgi 
because the lighting mm-hmm. casts a weird shadow when it's actually physical and they, they don't want that there yeah. in that, that, yeah. that, so they can control the lighting and the sense, shadows yeah. more, uh, when it is fake. That's such a weird thing because you think, you know, filming in offices is something that we've done for 50 or 60 years. <laughs> but Asher will stick up. So we've got some, we've got yeah. some, uh, um, some Marvel budgets that will stick it in there. That was actually really disappointing to me because when they were doing the layering up in the office when, uh, when, uh, Guggen Bathurall was in the room telling you and, and showing you around the office, they did the layering up so that the green screen behind and then they layered in that amazing cityscape that they've created yeah. with CGI <laughs> and then stuck blinds over the top of it so you can't see the cityscape. I was like, why would you have an office with a window? if you couldn't look out over that amazing cityscape all the time. But that's just me. <laughs> it was even the library. The library was like a lot of the background, and which I thought because it was filmed in a way with some of the elevators, mm. I was like, oh, no, maybe that was the office building in... There's a very famous office building that they film glass, the glass elevator scenes in. Right. Um, I thought that was just a different view on that. And I was like, no, that turned out to be completely fake. Um, on Kid Loki's uh, lair... Yeah, that's a season two pull because they were very adamant of, we put so many cool Easter eggs. I'm like, ugh. So they had a lot of ones that they just didn't even call out, like Throg mm-hmm. or the Living Tribunal, like statue or uh, one of the statues from Thor Ragnarok mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, or the Thanos copter. Fun ones that we all saw and we all caught up and it's out already across multiple uh, kind of uh, nerd YouTube shows yeah. and uh, like everyone's called it out so they could have gotten away with just even pointing to some of those and my only thing my only thoughts on this is that the reason they didn't is like you said it is season 2 because you've still got the yeah. boastful Loki you've got kid Loki yeah. alive and well at the moment in this multiverse. But I'm, I'm even thinking, you know, is there going to be a moment? Because they, they, they continually said that they don't need, they don't want people to have to have seen these shows and then go to the movies. But they want to reward people a little bit here and there, people yeah. that have watched them. So I'm wondering, for example, that barbershop, a completely innocuous building sitting in the background of the void, but we've now seen it. So if in Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, they go to a barbershop you go, and you go, that's the barbershop that was in the background oh, yeah. of Loki. That could be a bit of fun. Where I wonder whether there are a few Easter eggs like that that were in the background from upcoming productions, from movies that were in production. That's, sure. that's all. But one other tiny thing to mention, the, uh, the four statues that are, uh, that are in the Citadel at the, at the end of time, one statue cracked and broken. Uh, production designer has said, we will find out what that is in the future, and she's not allowed to talk about that ah, future at all. So we'd speculated that was just simply Jonathan Majors, effectively the same statue that we saw in the TVA. Yeah. It's now been replaced. Uh, he's he's there in whatever guys, Kang, or whatever else you want to call him. But she said she's not going to say at the moment. We will find out about that in the future. That probably means it's Kang. Uh, but anyway. No. So I think this is one of the, this is the thing that I got wrong. This is that the fourth timekeeper. The, the, who went, was exiled into Egypt, who became the Siwa, and uh, became he who remains, and was the Siwa of something. Um, which is, and he, look, he's a timekeeper kind of alien. Okay, yeah. Um, but, but interesting, again, they didn't talk about that in the show. That's from another interview that happened uh, during the week this week there's been so many interviews after the show finished yeah and uh, those two statues as you came into the citadel mm-hmm. they sh- you could see the face on them and it was a clock of like miss minutes um yeah. 
on on the face, which was interesting um, yeah. as well. And I think segueing into our variant five mm-hmm. here is, uh, I guess, two omissions, and one is where is Miss Minutes? Um, yeah. And a bit like with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, you know, we didn't really get anything around the the music um, yeah. and that, and how that was constructed. Um, so far, it's only really been one division where it, it's really been focused on because of the very different uh, musical intros with the same theme, the different styles, yeah. as well as you know, um, the 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 monsters, Agatha, all along. But um, certainly here, um, there, there was no mention of Miss Minutes. Um, again, maybe with the season two, it could spoil something, possibly. That's definitely Miss Minutes will be back, absolutely. But to not she talk will. about the character at all, this is a this is a a cartoon character walking around in in the screen of a TV show for the entire series, like Roger Rabbit, let's say for for the older uh, fans amongst us. Um, <laughs> But to not mention the character at yeah. all, like there was merchandise coming out for Miss Minutes after episode one. They knew how it was going to hit. And to not actually even mention the character, I thought was really surprising. Um, like there's even a moment where they have uh, Tom Hiddleston playing with a lamp that's supposed to be supposed to represent Miss Minutes. But they don't even mention that. Oh, this is what it's like filming with this CGI character or this this character uh, who's not here, which everybody always does when they're talking about a character that's not on screen is replaced after the filming. It just felt really weird to completely leave her out. Yeah, it, it um, did of, of the show. I don't know. I, 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 that, that was my that was my feeling on it. But I do think they need to come back on this stuff. You know, it feels like now we're three series in. They've done a making of of each of them. Hey, just give us another half hour episode about the music. You know, um, as well like that. The music of the MCU, and you could do the kind of all. You could talk. About all the different composers and get them in a room. Potentially yeah. that too, but I think having the having an individual twenty minute episode where you interview the um, the musician and the the person who's created the soundscape for the show. Where we, I've seen other interviews with Natalie Holt, who, who was the who did all the music for the show, where she talks about why she chose certain instruments to represent uh, certain characters and certain scenes um, and the overall show. There's there's an aesthetic that she's built within the show that if you're a fan of the, of the score. Um, it's as important as the dialogue. It's as important as the framing from the director. And it, to to exclude it now from from those three shows, uh, the score at least. I know, you, as you say, in the, in one division, we got a bit of the songs. Uh, to exclude it and not give it a little bit of focus on it when you have a platform where you can do it, I, I think is a is a big omission. I I would like to see them come back and add those for each of the shows in, into the making of sections for for assembled. Well, that's um, it. I mean, know, she used a theremin uh, and and Mook keyboards mm-hmm. so there's a lot that could have been um discussed there yeah, i think so I yeah think so and could and, and could be massively interesting it's it informs some of the characters and informs uh, informs how the characters are perceived for the audience so i think there's lots to talk about from a from a composer side luckily we do have uh matthew murdoch who explained a lot of that to us uh in some feedback <laughs> earlier on in the season <laughs> exactly um for me one of the key uh, pieces that I felt we were missing was uh, the, the overall breakdown of the the story and how they got there. The kind of more of the, the the pre kind of research aspect, okay. which I would like to see because we saw that in I think uh, the One Division, um, where they did talk about like some of the comic books they pulled yeah. from. Um, I I would have liked to see that a bit more because we heard it. We definitely saw it with Matt Chapman when he kind of went on uh, Fat Man Beyond with Mark Bernard and Kevin Smith. Well, yes, they, yeah. He went into the detail, mm. but then 
it was in that making of as well, to a degree. Like, it wasn't as deep, but that's something I find so interesting. And especially for anyone probably watching this making yeah. of. Yeah. Like, outside of the people who are just kind of probably not, maybe not into the making of the behind the scenes aspect, more just the, the actual there for the story and the mm-hmm. show. This. I thought would have been interesting. Like, oh, well, look, we, we dived into his kind of comic book aspects here and here and here. Yeah. And we kind of yeah. pulled parts of like, like explaining, like we wanted Kid Loki because of X, Y, Z, or we had this, like the kiss heard around the Nexus multiverse, like where the kiss nearly heard mm. yeah. uh, aspect where it kind of spiked, explaining why it spiked into near Nexus event yeah. when they just nearly kissed. And then when they did kiss, there was no Nexus yeah. event. I, no, I definitely agree with that. You know, where some of their reasoning came from, how it sort of linked back, say, to, as we saw the ancient one describing to Hulk, you know, about the branches um, all, all of that. And mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, it's interesting, you know, Michael Waldron was was um here in in this making of yeah. but very small amount of information yeah. and actually kind of a lot of it focused back to Kate Heron's pitch actually the her sort of what they were describing as her shock and awe pitch <laughs> uh, and then uh, very much keeping it very high level i think as well about um you know how this was a a journey of discovery for you know loki uh, uh because as you mentioned in, in, in our first variant, you know, you know, his biggest battle has always been within himself. And, um, and, you know, the show is about learning to love himself, yeah. uh, which again, you know, was addressed in here the about, biblical uh, sense. yeah, about the, the, you know, the, the love story here between Loki and Sylvie. Um, and I, I, I think. And, and certainly I would agree with you there, Chris, you know, that linking in with the comics and, and where they were getting that from, I think, um, from the lead writer would have been really good as well. A bit, yeah. a bit more from the lead writer yeah. would have been really good. I think the massive challenge that they have is that they pulled so many elements from so many different comics rather than from a Loki run and translating it to TV like we've had in the past with a lot of the movies. You know, things like Civil War was yeah. a run of the comics, but completely different to what's on screen. But they can't just point at one and go, that's what we did and now it's uh, and changed it for TV, or at least they didn't uh, on the show. But uh, did you see that Kate Heron did the cardinal sin uh, of going um, of what we exclude from our podcast? Uh, the word obviously, uh, where yes. she said, "Oh, the reason why Mobius has the mustache because obviously the character in the comics does." And we're going, "What do you mean obviously?" <laughs> so they yep. did they did show a little screenshot there, but uh, but no, I I get what you mean. I think it was just because they were talking about the themes rather than the overall storyline, and I think possibly. Uh, Executive producer um, Michael Waldron is too busy with his duties over on uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse I guess of Madness. So. Yeah, uh, there you go. Everything does lead to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse yeah. of Madness. Um, <laughs> All roads lead to the Multiverse of. Uh, we don't normally do a defend on uh, on the making of episodes because they are documentaries and and uh, they are just there for our pleasure, learning uh, learning different things. But overall thoughts on the on the documentaries, Chris? What do you think? I enjoyed it. Um... It, it it's a different version. It was a different take on the making of. So it was more narrative driven and more kind of scripted. If you obviously it's all scripted, but you know if you can understand what the the narration opening with Tom Hiddleston, the kind of the journey of how Loki got to where he is, and I did enjoy some of it. I'm not going to lie. It it was a solid. It's a solid behind the scenes making of. Again, just I think 
probably just an insatiable hunger at the moment is I wanted to know more mm-hmm. and kind of understand some of it because it is also the first one where we got a season two. Um, so I would like to see a bit more anything on that, more on the story and just overall. But again, I suppose a lot of that they can't discuss because maybe some of it's on the cutting room floor that's being pulled in for season two. Who knows? Um, so yeah, overall enjoyed it. Uh, I would highly recommend if anyone's interested in uh, Loki or making of this is kind of a kind of required viewing. Derek, what did you think of it? Yeah, it was grand. Um, okay, making of. Uh, it's great to give the people behind the scenes their due, and I just think by um, by expanding that a bit more, you give even more praise to the people behind the scenes. You know, like we were kind of spoiled on Disney Plus by getting the episode by episode uh, Mandalorian breakdown that we got with season one of the Mandalorian, where you know the writers got got to have their day in the sun telling people why they wrote things the way they did. Directors got that. Behind the scenes, people all got moments where they're able to share their passion for what they were producing. And I felt this felt a little bit like, I, I don't know, uh, we've been covering TV and movies for such a long time. We, we get um, electronic press kits effectively, which is either a PDF of information about things that happened on, that happened on the show that can be talking points for you or videos that are just direct to camera that you can use for press pieces that you want to do. And this felt much more like an electronic press kit than it did and making of. I didn't learn a huge amount out of it. It was nice to see the behind the scenes stuff. It was nice to have it being led by Tom Hiddleston. I think that was a good choice for, uh, for this show as opposed to the previous two shows because it's so personal for, for that character. Um, but overall, I think there's a lot more that I'd love to, I'd love if they had uncovered. So, uh, and I absolutely wish they'd do something on the music of the Marvel, uh, the Marvel cinematic universe on TV. Uh, I'd love, I'd love if it came back on that. How about yourself, John? Um, yeah, I, nothing too much more to add, really. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's worthwhile to watch. Um, it's, it certainly feels more promotional, um, and really taking you through the, the, just the overall story, um, like we did on the episodes. Um, I, I think, um, you know, as we've discussed it here today, you know, I think there's a lot out of it that has that hasn't been put in that that should have been i hadn't really clocked on all of it to be honest but i think you know miss minutes uh the music um you know the comic references Mm -hmm. and maybe that's partly down to there being a season two possibly who knows maybe it is down to the the reveal of jonathan majors as kang almost that but i mean that can still be kind of you know, oh, we, we, we drew from loads of different comics because of all the Lokis. You just say that and just show a few of them. You know, you, you don't have to go. It's, it, it's not a lecture on it. It just needs to be sort of some interest there. So I, I, it's definitely worthwhile. There's some good stuff here on the characters. I much preferred the character interaction here on this one compared mm-hmm. to the others. Um, you really got a sense of them having a, you know, that their, their role there um and i i enjoyed the set uh stuff that we we got here um i'm always uh weak at the knees for that i i, I just think if you're going to do these do them properly um and, and give these people that are behind the scenes like the designers like the mm-hmm. the musicians um like the um the, the even the writer in this case a bit more time to breathe to say 
you know, where their vision came from. But it's certainly worthwhile um, to to watch. Uh, and I would recommend it for sure. Absolutely. Um, I'd also recommend going and checking out some of the other interviews that have been done over the last week with the cast and, and people behind the scenes. There's some great insights that have come out that I kind of hoped were in here. And it's a real shame. I don't know whether we mentioned it last week, whether the news had been out that Kate Aaron's not coming back for uh, season two of the show. So it's great to hear her vision and how much it played into season one. We may get a very different show uh, next time when season two comes back with a different person at the helm, uh, since it sounds like she had quite a big, uh, quite a big input. Uh, on the first season. I am hoping that maybe she got offered something crazy uh, by Marvel, uh, a a separate film, and that is why she is not coming back, because the production on that is taking her away. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to to know or say until that tidbit is revealed. Uh, She does say she has a lot of projects uh, on the way, some that she was working on before Loki, and some that have uh, have been brand new to her, so I am sure we'll hear something very soon from Kate Heron. But right now, as the heat is climbing to sweltering, I think it's time for a drink over the pub, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. John, let's go to the pub quiz. we got some answers to some questions, and we've got uh, some goodies to award. Yes, he's got the questions, we've got the answers. And more importantly, there's liquid in the air. Yes. Uh, again, great stuff, fellow quizzes and fellow defenders, mm-hmm. for all your answers coming in. A bit of a toughie, as I said at the start of, of the podcast um, this time. A few um, questions that, you know, were a, a bit bit difficult to pinpoint the exact numbers or uh, identify where to look uh, within the show to get the right um to get the right answer yes. but that is the fun of it after all absolutely. fellow quizzes and dare i say amateur detectives uh, it, in this case absolutely it wouldn't be a quiz if uh, if it was really easy to get every answer to the question yeah but let's get on with the um the answers so episode one we asked what speed is loki moving at after being clobbered by hunter b15 in the gobi desert the answer to that is one sixteenth speed, mm-hmm. but he does feel all the pain that you'd feel in real time. Classic. Um, w- yeah, we were double checking the what speed it was, and it still made me chuckle. Uh, that that image uh-huh. of, of the the, the slow mode and um, Loki uh, mouth wobble as yeah. he had gotten clobbered, and um, so it was one sixteenth speed. Absolutely. Uh, the episode two question: uh, When was Kablu? chewing gum sold uh, only sold regularly on earth from 2047 to 2051 so the year is 2047 to 2051 uh, i did get one great uh, response to this uh, on email uh, which said i think we're actually probably going to see it a lot earlier than that in the real world considering the reaction <laughs> the we're probably going to see completely uh, chewing gum sold in the next year or two for episode three of loki lamentus we had the question loki and sylvie are taking the train to the ark but where on Lamentus 1 is the Ark located? Very simple. The answer is Sheru. Yes, in the making of, we saw uh, that exact place being built. So it was mentioned about 15 times, the name of it, but it was only mentioned once, I think, on the episode. Yes, the the city of Sheru there. Uh-huh. Um, for- Let's get on to the contentious questions. Question 4 or question 5, John? <laughs> yes, um, episode 4. Uh, we we asked, before returning to Sylvie, Hunter B-15 sees a poster on the wall. What does it ask and what is the answer? So the poster says, did you get them all? Question mark. 
verify thorough deletion. That was the answer. Did you get them all? Verify thorough deletion. Mm, tough. Yes. Yes, we had uh, quite a lot of verify through deletion. Yep, uh, that's what I thought. Verify thorough <laughs> deletion. So, uh, so yes, making sure the agents do their full duty there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on to question five. Ooh, this one is a tough one. Um, in episode five, how many Lokis do we see in the episode in the void at the end of time? Uh, not just together. Um, this is a, a, a difficult one. There were 16 Lokis in the episode. We had pres- President Loki, Classic Loki, Kid Loki, Alligator Loki, Boastful Loki, our variant Loki, of course, Sylvie, and... Nine supporting Lokis who are with President Loki. So there are 16. Oh, we got answers all over the board here. Some people leaving out Sylvie and Loki. Uh, some people leaving out the supporters uh, of President President Loki. And uh, yeah, this was yeah. a toughie. Even originally when we asked the question, mm-hmm. we did think that President Loki, that the the other nine Lokis around him were just supporters. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're just dressing like him. So, yeah. yes. Uh, it's only watching it back. We then counted that up, and it was verified in the making mm-hmm. of yep. as well. So, yes. Handlebars Loki for <laughs> <Yeah>. the win. <laughs> Absolutely. Cosplayers around the world went, yes, Can you ride the budget him? has gone down. Still Alligator Loki for the win. Oh, of course, but that's different. <laughs> that's who he'll always be for the win. Gentlemen, it's time to go on to the final question. Episode 6, for all time always the question we ask is how many sugars does loki get in his coffee in the citadel at the end of time yes the answer is two lumps very british two lumps of sugar and a splash of milk chum thank you very much Wow, that's your British accent. And you've known And I'm how, actually half British. That's the scary yeah, thing. Yeah, and you've known John for what, 14 years as well? Uh, oh, pish posh. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> you could have been in Mary Poppins with that I accent. I could have been in Black Widow with that accent. There you go. <laughs> but there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, defenders of all ages. Those are our six questions. Those are the six answers. And. We now need to pull the answer. Once again, lots of entrance to the pub quiz. Thanks so much to everybody that's uh, entered. Um, interestingly, this time, for the first time ever, there was nobody with all six correct answers. <gasps> I know. Yeah. Defenders. Shocker. We do have six people who got five questions right and they do vary not not everybody got the same question wrong which is why what's interesting and <laughs> not everybody got just the number of lokis uh, there were a few on the uh, verify through deletion uh, and there were a few others on on years etc so uh we have six people in for the draw for those goodies we have salima kisler dr bob phillips victor sellers catherine connors will be uh will walton Yes, so we will be putting you into the electronic hat that is Google. Mm -hmm. Chris, do your techno wizardry. Fine, I can do that. Hey, Google. Choose a number randomly between one and six. Here's a random number. One. 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 (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. 
Excellent stuff. Thank you, Google. We can announce the person with the most correct answers um, as chosen in the techno tombola that is Google uh, is Salim Akizler. So well done, Salim there. Uh, We will be in touch uh, to uh, ask where we can send the goodies, but also um, which of the selection of goodies that we have on our website you would like. There you have it. Well done, Salim. We did mention during the season that uh, that we were having some issues getting some goodies for uh, for Loki because they were being released much later than the show was airing. Uh, What you're getting for uh, winning the pub quiz... Salim is your choice of three Loki Funko Pops. Uh, the choices on offer, we have Mobius, we have uh, Ravon Renslayer, we have Loki himself, of course, uh, we have Sylvie, and we have Hunter B15. You tell us which three of those five you want, and we will get them out to you as soon as they're released. Uh, and I'll be in contact with you by email. Well done, Salim. Congratulations, Salim, and we hope you enjoy the, the fruits of your labour. Yes, a big congratulations, Salim. Uh, great stuff, and thanks to everyone for... Uh, getting involved in uh, the Loki pub quiz for this season. Great stuff. Now, just to round out the the podcast, it is our feedback section uh, with your lovely comments, observations uh, that we we weren't able to put into the last episode uh, in time and some that have come in since. First up, we have uh, an email through from Will B. Will says... Hello, mates. I have not chimed in this season, but I thought I would send in a few thoughts for your wrap-up episode. Really, really great writing this season. It's really hard to believe we got so much depth from Sylvie, Loki, in only six episodes. The show also lacked the pacing problems its two predecessors had. This may be Regency bias at work here, but if I had to rank episode 6 as a standalone content in the MCU, I honestly would only rank it behind Winter Soldier and Thor Ragnarok. Never has the MCU nailed a villain reveal as well as they did with He Who Remains. The endless possibilities of this variance in future projects has me more pumped than I ever have been about the future of the MCU. Jonathan Majors is a bona fide star now, and I can't wait to see him as Kang. Mm -hmm. Lastly, a question or theory. Everyone seems to be hung up on the emotional aspect of Mobius not remembering Loki because they obviously built a special friendship over the series, and it's sad to see that not exist anymore. But I was really thinking about the implications of a universe where Loki might not exist at all. If they don't recognise Loki, either he doesn't exist in that universe he was sent to, Or, there, he isn't a variant on the TVA's radar. Mm -hmm. If he isn't what caused the Nexus event, I'd be curious to know what did. It was a wild ride, and I enjoyed your coverage this season as always. Looking forward to what if will be. Yeah, thanks so much, Will. Um, Absolutely uh, could not agree with you more about um Jonathan Majors and so good. Yep. really good and and you're right you know as a villain reveal uh, even in the you know in the MCU a lot of villains maybe 
it was thought they weren't given enough time um and to sort of sort of become even more villainous uh but <laughs> i think here this is a really interesting sort of reveal in the tv knowing he's coming into uh, a movie um and uh just how they went about it with that almost stage play of him in his um office yep. at the citadel uh at the edge of the of time so yeah. uh, really good certainly nobody could say that he didn't have the opportunity to uh, explain his motivations <laughs> nope <laughs> well done jonathan majors yeah absolutely excellent uh thanks so much will uh love the fact that you rank this somewhere behind winter soldier and thor ragnarok um Winter Soldier being my favorite movie and Thor Ragnarok being close to the end of the 25 Marvel movies should be. So I guess this is somewhere in the middle then. <laughs> no, thanks so much, Will. I know my thoughts on Thor Ragnarok are different from a lot of people. Uh, we've also got an email here from Jerry. He says, hey, guys, the behind the scenes of Loki is the best of the Marvel documentaries. Tom Hiddleston is passionate about being Loki. That passion infects all those around him. The knowledge we get from costume and set design is great. Richard E. Grant absolutely wonderful the one thing in this documentary that's so disappointing not one mention about the music the soundtrack of the show was a character to itself hearing tom hiddleston say kang was all i needed though can't wait to talk about the what if series in a month's time jerry in niceville totally agree with you we did mention that jerry the uh the uh, omission of the music discussion is definitely a a miss for the show yeah thanks so much jerry Yes, thank you so much, Jerry. And yes, Richard E. Grant is wonderful. National treasure. International treasure now, Chris. International treasure. Sure. International <laughs> treasure that he is. Uh, but could be replaced by someone else because who knows. No, he was, drew in, he was drawn into the uh, into the art before he was cast, okay. Chris. He was definitely, definitely uh, irreplaceable. Without a doubt. Irreplaceable. Next up, we also have an email from OA4 who just missed our recording deadline last week. Uh, so this is about the, the overall series and not including this as a, uh, as a making of. OA4 had this to say. What a ride. I understand some people's criticism about exposition and setup. However, I have to point out some things that for me heavily outweigh any and all critiques about the episode. Jonathan Major's performance had me hanging on every single word. If this was what we get from him going forward in the MCU, I'm somehow even more excited than I already was. Any idea for an Ireland casting now? I'm hoping we get him along with the Kang in Quantum Media. Scott Lang having to deal with his daughter aging five years in what seemed to him like five hours, plus her possibly dating a boy destined to become a supervillain, just sounds like a perfect example of classic dad tropes exploited by sci-fi. The moral dilemma and the conflict that sprouted from it were impeccable. Sylvie was never going to accept a position where she would do to countless others children which had been done to her and Loki willing to hear he who remains out but for vastly different reasons than episode one Loki chef's kiss I'll cut it out there take care guys and see you for what if until next time 084 thank you so much for that feedback 084 and casting for Iron Lad no I can't do that because there's so many really fantastic younger actors at this point in time um in for example like um impulse was just cast in the flash by a fantastic young actor um but you've also got loads of them out on netflix you could even go down the road road of the the actor from bridgerton 
I can't uh, remember his name. I think it's Jean-Paul something, something, something. And that's Bridgerton, not the former Pope, I hope. It is. Yes, yes. excellent Jean-Paul stuff. something, something, something. Oh, great. <laughs> I missed that former pope. He's three three popes ago, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. three yes. popes. John yeah. Paul II. Uh, really excellent thoughts there. I for yeah, I, I I love the idea of there being a relationship between uh, Scott Lang's daughter and uh, and possibly Iron Lad in the future. That's yeah. a great idea. That is a great uh, idea. Yeah. Nice definitely. Stuff. Yeah. Thanks so much. Oh eight four. Over on our Facebook group, uh, Victor Seller says, "I thought the intro and narration from Tom Hiddleston was very fitting and witty." Tom has great acting versatility. See The Night Manager, where he plays a hero. Oh, yes. Applauds to the casting as they brought together an excellent ensemble. I am in awe of the vision, conception, and collaboration of the amazing writers, producers, and director. They seem to not explicitly mention season two. Was that not confirmed at the time? I enjoyed the quips and outtakes from all the actors. I voted seven Lokis in the pub quiz as opposed to the other nine Lokis not listed in the show. Credits, but directly referred to in the documentary. Celevi, all in all, it's a great ride. Thanks so much, Victor. Um, certainly, yeah, the night manager was great. Um, and if anyone's interested in seeing the TV series, um, and more from Tom, uh, it's a really good one uh, to see I, I really as well like the quips and outtakes as you say I, I really enjoyed uh, I guess that from this documentary that focus uh, on on the characters um, and and their interaction on set I, I thought that was a good positive from from this documentary mm-hmm. uh, for sure uh, and and certainly we were having problems counting the Lokis as well well don't um, worry Victor you still made it in uh, yeah, to the to the group uh, that was in for the chances of winning those goodies. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you get one wrong. Um, there are still five other questions to get right uh, to get into these. Uh, we will be back, I presume, with our pub quiz on uh, on what if, right? Certainly, because we're not doing one on Bad Batch, but I presume we'll do another one when we get to what if. I think that would be really good, and there may even be ten questions on the Doctor Strange one <laughs> on its own. I think if we get a Doctor Strange pop. Uh, the they're, they're releasing the images of the what if pops at the moment and Mine. there's a very cool one for Doctor Strange yeah I had a feeling that John will just ask 10 Mine. questions if you get them all right uh, you get the pop if you don't get any if you get one of them wrong he gets to keep it I think yeah uh, might be the way it's 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 a John off there you go might be that yeah thanks so much for all the feedback if you want to send any thoughts about Loki to us uh, we're happy to hear from you uh, just email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or come join us on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries why not give us a follow over on Instagram or on uh, Twitter uh, we're there at tvpodcastindustries or at tvpodindustries on Twitter uh, and of course, make sure you stay subscribed to the podcast. Come follow us over on TV Podcast Industries. You'll find all the places where we are. Uh, just search TV Podcast Industries and uh, you can keep up with us on all the other stuff that we're covering. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we will be continuing our coverage in a galaxy far, far away with Star Wars The Bad Batch on Disney Plus uh, this coming Friday. And of course, we are going to be back in the weird, wonderful MCU and multiverses with What If, which begins again on Disney Plus uh, from August the 11th. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, where they got the proverbial dump truck of money and backed it up to multiple stars in the MCU's house and just said, <laughs> record these lines, here you go. Mm. Just ha- tell us when. When? No? Okay, you get the whole thing. One. And much like Oprah, everyone got one in the audience. It's going to be fantastic, guys. It's going to be one. It's going to be a head scratcher. I am so Alone. Yeah. One. Yeah. Killmonger. Saving. Iron Man. I have no idea where that's going to go. Absolutely. There's so many interesting stories in there. We've got Marvel Zombies going to be told in there. We've got, I know, we've got finally got Captain Carter uh, in there. Peggy Carter yeah. becomes Captain uh, Captain Carter, I guess. Um, yeah, so many cool uh, things that, that I just didn't expect to see on screen. And a lot of them voiced by the original actors from the MCU, which is very, very cool. Uh, looking forward to that on August 11th. Thanks so much to, for joining us across all of our coverage of the MCU over the last couple of months. Uh, been really good having our fellow Defenders back. And hopefully you'll join us again in the future. Yes. If you want to head on over to our website, tvpodcastindustry.com, you can subscribe to all of our feeds there we strongly suggest you share it with everyone share it with your mother share it with your father go do you know what we haven't asked you to do it in a while go share it with your granny your grandpa your umpa your oma and tell them how much you love this show and you love listening to us and tell her she should watch loki and drool all over tom hiddleston and then listen to us discuss i'm sure she'll love watching along on loki Talk yes. to you soon. Bye. Yeah, thanks so much, fellow defenders. Uh, it's been brilliant chatting to you um, and with you all about Loki this season. We'll be back for season two as well. So remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep defending. Bye. 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 Bye.